You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Good morning. Good morning. Happy end of July. It's going fast. It is going really quick. Do you guys have a good week going so far? Yeah, I do. I'm kind of nuts. We've had. That's true. That is true. Yeah, we've had people. (laughs) Personally, I'm nuts. Um, My business is fine. No, the uh, the business, we've had business coming in right now. Um, And I don't know if it's just the graduation parents after the kids graduate, they're calling us, but. I'm getting a ton of people that I thought were maybe interested in selling that I thought gave up on it calling right now and saying, Hey, we're finally ready. You know, we want to get done before the election. We want to do this. And I, man, what a great time though. I mean, we need that inventory. So, and um, timing's perfect. Now when they go to buy, I, I, I remind all of them that, you know, having a good lender lined up, that'll get you, if you can, a non-contingent offer going um, the worry of having two mortgages is something that I wouldn't worry about right now, as long as you have a real estate agent helping you with your existing house, so you know what it's worth and that it'll sell, um, and and go. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a pertinent topic for today because everybody's kind of wondering now that we're getting closer to fall, what's going to happen with the real estate market as uh, we approach the election and, and beyond the election. So it's an awesome topic for today. We're excited to be here with you guys. If you have questions, as always, you can drop them in the Facebook comments section. And if you are listening to the replay on our podcast, which is now live on every podcast platform, we welcome you as well. And thank you for listening. So let's get today started. We have um, a guest, Sid Larson, today from Edge Home Finance. Um, and then we have our usual hosting crew, Mr. Chris Rooney and Andrew Presky. And I, <laughs> I am the background moderator for today. Uh, so today we're chatting a little bit about uh, a few different things. One, it's an election year and how does this impact housing? Two, today in Minnesota is the big decision day that we're going to hear what the governor's announcement is on schools for the fall season um, and also and how that might impact housing along with uh, more companies than ever before are keeping their employees working from home at least through January. And that seems to be having at least a slight impact on the housing market. So we'll chat through what the guys are seeing on that. Um, and then we'll take some of your questions from last week, along with any questions you submit while we're live. Sounds so, like a great show. I mean, it's always a good show, but this week is an actually excellent show. Well, you do an excellent <laughs> job. Have we ever said that to you? I'm sure you have. Oh, you just don't listen to us? No, I do. I appreciate it. You do a great that. job. I, uh, I love this. I, I think you you do a super job. You help us. It's uh, You bring a level of professionalism to the show that Chris and I are incapable of doing on our oh, own. Oh, thanks, Andy. Yeah. And next week, uh, next week, Andy, Andy and I. So, Ronnie's so offended right now. I could do anything on my own. I don't need anybody. <laughs> you can't put baby in a corner. No, I'd love to have Courtney do this with me the whole time. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> oh, geez, you guys are just giving me all of the praise. My ego is going to be huge after this show today. Yeah. If you uh, can't tell week, Andy, you can do anything. 
We have Andy, to did you tell food. Chris that next week we'll be live from Madden's? And uh, I think we should get matching Madden sweatshirts to wear. <laughs> oh, yeah. No response. I think so. I think that'd be fine. We'll bring you one back. I like that. Thank you. You want to just come with us, Chris? You sure can. I, I'll tell you what I want to talk about, and I don't know if I can right now, yeah. but uh, I want to talk about the school decision. Where I think, you know, when Andy was saying, you know, people are trying to get ready for that election, I think there's a, a, a consumer confidence is everything in in this market, and that's what drives I, I believe everything. Obviously, if the economy goes bad, people start, oh my gosh, this is horrible. But we have had a, a little uh, ruckus happening here um, called this pandemic thing, um, but it really hasn't stopped our real estate market. You know, um, I. It has. I mean, obviously, there's lower inventory, but the the sales are still actually rivaling probably higher percentage wise based on what we have. But I think this whole school thing is going to um, put some people in a different thought process. I mean, I just uh, I'm for one, I want I want, you know, if governor's listening right now, (laughs) I want schools to open. (laughs) I want the kids to be able to go back to school. So, um, but we did just get, we were going to take on a foreign exchange student um, this year and they did just cancel that program. Oh, it's so late for them to cancel that too. Yeah, they all got canceled yesterday. So, Actually, I'm working uh, with a a client of mine that works at the U and they were saying that their their, uh, student counts are going to be way down because of the the kids that come from all over the world are not coming this year. They're, They're deciding to not and they're doing all their stuff online anyway. So, they were saying there's going to be some big changes over at the university too. Yeah. Um, they have to adjust just like all of us, right? No big deal. Has to affect it, you know? So there's someone, there's another person over here. Who is this? Who is this guy? Tell us, let's hear about this. Tell us about yourself. Tell us what you do. I've just been hanging out. I'm, I'm just getting ready. I'm listening to you guys. Let's talk. Let's clear the pandemic. That's what I'm, I'm hearing towards. I thought that's what we're on here today. Um, no, thanks for having me, guys. I, I really do appreciate it. My name is Sid Larson. I am with Edge Home Finance. I'm an independent mortgage broker, local. We're, uh, our office is out of Minnetonka. Local live right now in South Minneapolis. We got the, uh, the dog pen in the back there in the background if you're watching this live. Um, she may be strolling in. She's a little pit bull. She's a cutie pie. Um, but yeah, so what I wanted, I, again, just really glad to be here. I'm hoping that we can kind of chit chat about this. And I know, I know we had, we had initially talked about um, specifically refinances and kind of where the market is on that and how it's just been crazy. I mean, Andy was talking pre-show about how we're just going to blow past the nation's average on refinances. And it's just, it's just crazy. I mean, this is an int- a very interesting time to be in real estate um, and on my side of the street and mortgages, certainly. So glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You know, what Sid was talking about, we, we just, uh, there's a, a lot of different sources of information that feed to us real estate agents. And I always like to understand where the mortgage professional is coming from. So I'll analyze and study and every once in a while, I'll tune into what the mortgage, you know, uh, news is. And they were talking about Normal markets, you know, these are rough numbers nationally, having 2 million uh, refis on a normal kind of market, and a crazy market has 3 million, and they were saying how right now we're pushing 4 million refis, and the system is just stretched right now, and that there, so there's tons of purchase business out there as well, um, but the refi market is is gobbling up all of that money, and what, what I like about that, and I don't know what you guys think, but 
when people gobble up money that's that affordable and brings those payments into that much more of an affordable position and they have equity in their houses, that stabilizes the housing market. What do you guys think? Go ahead, Seth. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, for, for me, a lot of my clients, a lot of my clients are looking at it as borrowing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars at a sub 3% interest rate. I mean, and, and that frees them up to invest in money markets, uh, maybe investment properties, you know, whatever they want to do, uh, you know, as opposed to having all of this money tied up and, you know, a 4.5% interest rate on a $250,000 house. Well, now they're getting in at 2.75 or, or on a 15 year, we're seeing 1.99% interest rates. And it's with a, with a credit, with a $500 credit, which is just insane. And so for, for my borrowers, I mean, that's where I, you know, the way that I approach it is how can we make your money, make you more money, right? I mean, that's where a lot of my borrowers are, you know, there's, they're moving into their second home or, you know, they're middle-aged and they're really thinking kind of next step, next level. And these are the conversations that we have is, Hey, how can we, how can we take this, you know, as opposed to this hundred thousand dollars of interest that you'd be allocated to paying, you know, over the next 15, 20 years, how can we make that make 200,000 for you? So yeah, exactly. And it couldn't, it couldn't agree with you anymore. It's, it's really interesting to kind of strategize and think, you know, next step and plan with our, with our, with our buyers, our sellers, our borrowers. I mean, it's, it's very, very fun, really. I think, I think also um, when we're talking about cash out refis, I think the recreational industry has profited wisely from this uh, little uh, refinance market. I mean, in, you talk to people that sell RVs and they're selling boats and it's, it's crazy. I mean, you, you can't get a boat. I mean, it's really hard docks, pool liners. You can't get pool liners. I just saw a pool and Andy, you can maybe answer this. You're Mr. Landscape guy, but all of a sudden, I, I see this truck. It says wide load, and I look in front of it, and it's a it's a pool. It's a total pool, completely already fabricated, ready to go dump in a hole. I've never I've never seen that. I think that's been I, uh, popular in a, the South for quite a while, but maybe not here. Yeah, I've never seen that. I thought the reference was completely to the wide load comment, but um, <laughs> you know the those pools that the big fiberglass drop in pools are a great way, efficient way. Um, in Minnesota. And I, I've always questioned, you know, the, the popping the cube out of the ice cube tray when they freeze. I've always thought that's what would happen with them, but they claim that they, they do it in a way that they keep the, the fluid and, uh, or the water or whatever away from the, the base. And they, they can put in a pool now for about half the price, um, you know, minus of course the landscaping, but it's, it's kind of crazy that, you know, when you were talking about refinancing and people are doing some cash out refis, which is probably what's happening there where they're, you know, taking advantage of the equity in their house. But what I was also impressed with you guys, and, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, said locally, but nationally, they were saying the average FICO score on these refis is like 750, which is extremely high. I mean, you know, and good, right? So it's it's crazy to me. People have good credit. They have good equity. They're getting really affordable payments. And that allows them to have that money to play with, which is, I mean, gosh, what a great balance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and you know, I guess on the other side of that, of that coin is that with the pandemic and everything that was that happened, what, three months ago, I mean, there were some lenders that just really tightened up the restrictions, right? So they increased their FICO minimum, they, you know, increased the reserves that you needed to have to do all of these things. And we're kind of seeing that loosen up again. But 100%, I mean, if 
credit scores in by and large, the, the ones that I've pulled, I mean, in the last, I don't know, week and a half, let's say the 15 or 20 that I've pulled that were viable applications. I don't think I saw a single one that was lower than 700. And that's, that's rare. I mean, that's a, that's a stark contrast from, you know, three, four years ago when the majority of the ones, it seemed to be hovering, you know, 600, 650, right? And, and I had lenders that were going down to 580, no problem. Um, you know, and now that they've really tightened that up, it's really helped everybody out. So it, 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 everybody seems to be, you know, it's in this in this sphere, everybody seems to really be winning. We, uh, Chris and I, a couple of years ago, had a, a guest on our show when we were doing our, still doing our radio gig. And they had, uh, the, the guest came on and talked about credit scores. And they were saying how the average credit score in Houston, Texas, now this was 2000, I think 15, was hovering around 560 for the average. It was like some of the lowest credit scores in the country. And I'm like, man, I go, here's an, an opportunity for some great educational uh, retooling and uh, teaching people how to take care of their finances. And But I, I'm just kind of proud of America, you know, and especially Minnesota, man. We fight back hard. And when we, uh, we've got great jobs here, great housing market, great place to raise your kids, good schools. And uh, I don't know, I just, I feel really good about what's happening um, in, in the housing industry right now, for sure, specifically. Are you seeing a lot of people? Yeah, that's the way that the way that I. I'm sorry. Are you seeing a lot more refinances now with the drop in interest rates last week? Yes, yes, I've been getting. I don't. I I will never turn business away. I work constantly. It drives my wife insane. We have a 10 month old and a 10 year old, and like I said earlier, a, a you know one and a half year old, highly energetic, petty puppy. So it. But for me, it's like I, if my phone's ringing, that's a good thing. I'm able to help someone, and I'm able to keep the lights on in the house and food on the table. So, and my wife was in sales, so she she gets it completely. But you know, my phone has been—I mean, it's go go go, especially at the end of the month. I mean, it's the 30th right now, and I've got three closings today, two tomorrow, and it's like go, the build up to that. So, so I have these files that are set to close in a week, and then I've got people that are calling saying, "Hey, where are we at with this?" We talked. Five months ago, we talked three months ago, we talked two months ago, you know, now I'm ready to pull the trigger. So it's kind of, so it's been kind of a uh, rolling cycle, if you will, you know, people that I've talked to, I mean, shoot, I had a call like a, a couple weeks ago, I talked to this person like a year ago. And now they're saying, hey, we're ready to pull the trigger. We keep seeing interest rates getting lower and lower and lower. And, and right now, I mean, the, the faucet is on. And so the way that we can help people is, 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 it's awesome. I mean, it really is. It, it's fantastic. So the refi boom, if you will, has really, it's been steady and it's just, it doesn't seem to be dropping off anytime soon, at least from what I've seen. So. What are the expectations now of, of refinancing? What's a person going through? I mean, when it wasn't as crazy and I was refinancing, I mean, you're in and out in 30 days and it's done. Um, what, what is it like now? I mean, and, and obviously we purchases got to take a priority, I would assume, and refinances fall kind of behind, but what is, what's the timing like for people? So the way that I structure my files, I don't pull credit until I get on a refinance specifically your driver's license, last two pay stubs, your W2s from the last two years, homeowner's insurance. And, um, so the deck page to go with that. So I get all of these things. I basically pre-underwrite the file. Now, as a as a like as an independent mortgage broker, like I, I I don't have a team that I fall back on to kind of do that. So I make sure that I get everything good to go. 
I can rush through a file and, and we can close in 14 days. I mean, and, and the lenders that we, that I specifically work with, if you get them everything on initial underwrite, I mean, you can fast pass it and then they say, all right, we'll update your homeowner's insurance or update, you know, make sure taxes are paid, whatnot. So, I mean, as far as the closing on a refinance, we're flying through. I mean, it's 14 days. The lend, one of our top lenders, United Wholesale Mortgage, they have their, they have this new program that they're, that they've been pushing for the last couple of months. And the rate locks don't go any higher than 22 days. So they are pushing themselves. They're saying, hey, look, we're going to get this done. We're going to match your speed. If you want to fly this through a refi and close it out, we're going to give you a 22 day lock. We will get it done in that time frame. And that's, that's phenomenal. So yeah. How about the appraisals and title work in that? That's a really good question. So my processor, we order title work right away. I send them the file, they order title work. Appraisals, I've been getting, and I'm not even joking, probably 80% appraisal waivers. So as long as you're, as long as you have, yeah, as long as you have about 90% or 10% equity, 90% loan to value, I am almost assuredly getting an appraisal waiver. And Chris, yeah, that is, that's kind of the magic formula right there. That's the linchpin. If you can get that, you can, you can cut off at least two weeks in underwriting waiting for the appraisal to happen. You know, and, and Sid, we actually talked about that last week. We had, um, or I had a client that was in a situation where they um, had that a pre-approved, auto-approved, no appraisal, no, you know, I mean, no job verification, the whole thing because of COVID. And, and then they, at the last second, made a change and decided not to pay off college loans. And it completely lit the file on fire and underwriters had to grab it. Then they wanted to order another appraisal and they wouldn't use bonus money and they had, so what I would say is, and I, and I said, I guess you're the, you're the professional here. Um, when you have a bundled package put together with a bow on it, uh, what's your suggestion? Not to open it or should we wait? You know, I mean, you'd let that go all the way to closing, right? Say that again? This is what I'm talking about, Sid. He's the king of analogies, but they're good if you listen. Really close. Bottom line is you, you get all your ducks in a row. Don't screw it up by changing something. Hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Hundred percent. I. You know, the biggest thing that I run into is, you know, uh, depleted. One of the one of the kind of hidden. <laughs> I like that. One of the hidden things is like depleting reserves. So one of the things that that we found is that you have to make sure that you have enough reserves. That's a big thing to get appraisal waivers and to keep those appraisal waivers. So if you have a two thousand dollar mortgage and you need six months of reserves, you got to have twelve grand in the bank or retirement account or IRA or something just to show the bank that you have it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you, the one thing that drives me nuts and, and I, and I love the borrowers that do call me when they say, Hey, we're going to go get furniture. You know, can we finance that? Can I open up a new line of credit? No, 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 no. You know? And, and yeah, I mean, I mean, that's, that's exactly what happens is, is you got the borrowers that, you know, if I, if I do my job, well, if I coach them say, Hey, don't open up new, any lines of credit, don't answer your phone to the creditors that are calling that are, you know, the sharks that are trying to get you to, you know, do something that you shouldn't be doing. It call me if there's a question, right? And and that's one of the things where I kind of, if I coach them, if I make sure that they, they're very clear expectations, um, I mean, stuff still happens, of course, but we can kind of mitigate that risk so that we can take that nicely wrapped present all the way to closing. Perfect. All right, guys. <clears throat> Let's, uh, we're getting some questions and some comments about the back to school component. So um, 
maybe we can switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about, about that decision. Andrew commented that from WCCO Radio regarding schools this fall, Governor Wallace is ex- expected to announce that the ultimate decision of how children learn this fall will be left to the districts, but distance learning will need to be offered to families and students who want it. Um, and I think I think that is... I, I don't know what the what the latest news is. It feels like it changes all the time. But there's another study that came out on um, on how this, along with the work from home status, and we t- we've talked a little bit about this over the last couple of weeks in terms of what people are looking for in homes right now has changed a little bit. Um, but there's another study that came out on keeping current matters through Zillow about the surge in urban high end listings, month over month increase that begs the question, are people starting to leave the smaller homes in the city to move to larger homes in the suburbs? Is that something that you guys have seen over the past month or two months? I've I've experienced it with three of our listings, actually. People Mm -hmm. coming, uh, moving out of the city, getting out. And I think, you know, this whole school decision, I think that has a play on it too, because I think people went through it in the spring and are just kind of like, Oh my gosh, I can't go through that again. I can't do it. And I hear it all the time from a size standpoint. I mean, they don't know, you know, where, where the kids going to work and they're working on top of each other and what they're doing. And uh, sometimes a house can completely uh, fix that, <laughs> you know, if you have a, a, enough rooms. And I know Andy and I both are um, marketing our homes like that and, and coming up with uh, creative ways in which to be able to Say, hey, here, here could be an office, a second office, you know, got one downstairs, you got one here, and here's a hallway that could, you know, work for kids studying as well. So um, you got to, that's, that's all kind of coming into to play now. I, uh, I, I've seen a, a big surge with um, new construction this last um, week, week and a half here where um, we've always, the builder that I work with um, has always offered, um, you know, the uh, sport courts. And this last week, it seems like every customer I'm dealing with or helping is asking me for some kind of an exercise area, gym. Um, they don't care how big they are. They just want a place for the kids to go run, throw balls, dribble, shoot, you know, whatever. Um, so th- this, I think it, uh, the pandemic here for sure made people very aware of how they live in their homes and how livable their home is. And so people are seeking more livable spaces. Like Chris is saying, I'm, I, for the first time, you know, sat there and had, um, out of all the customers I had, most people saying, hey, we're in the inner city. We're looking to get out into the suburbs, build a beautiful house. Um, school districts are very important um, for a lot of people. But, you know, I'm not seeing it like a mass exodus. I'm actually seeing some people moving closer to the city because their jobs are not letting them work from home. So, you know, I'm seeing a little bit of both, actually. So I don't know if that's a trend per se, but I am seeing, like Chris said, a big trend in the style of the houses and how people are are living in their homes or it's different. Um, people are looking for dual offices. They're looking for a mother-in-law suite in the basement um, with a mini kitchen. And, you know, that's where Chris and I go back to Rooneyville. Um, our concept of having, you know, a rental almost within your own dwelling um, where mom, dad, whoever, both of them can live or the college kid that came home and have their own space and, and still, you know, um, be close to the family. But it's, it, it, I'm seeing more of that, that multi-generational housing needs too. So yeah, the uh, housing's changing for sure in a good way. We have to, we have to add purified air to Rooneyville. <laughs> <laughs> Is it's that not like a post-COVID addition? 
I just hot air, Chris? Sid, don't even ask. This is this goes back like years. So I think Rooneyville is interesting. My husband asked me the other day when you were going to start construction. I know. I just got to get someone with money to do it. Andy? <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're still looking at your performa. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so with, with everything that's going on, um, the National Association of Home Builders is saying that new home demand is, is improving in lower density markets. Are you seeing a lot of that new construction moving out of um, the traditional suburb ring? Is it getting further away from the city? And is that a land issue or is that a... Um, is that a consumer interest issue? Again, I think it's housing's changing. I think people are recognizing that they don't mind being out a little bit farther if they're working from home, as long as they have high-speed internet so they can connect. Um, they have all the amenities of, of entertainment, you know, with the streaming of TV shows or whatever they like. Um, I think people are really getting into outdoor spaces, gardening. Um, they have outdoor hobbies. Maybe they're looking for uh, a space for animals, horses, dogs, whatever. They want space for, for their family to, to roam. I have been seeing a ton of people that we meet, like for an example, in the Hugo market or Blaine, asking us to go up to um, Ham Lake, asking us to go up to Chisago, Forest Lake, you know, and getting just, they're still, I would consider to be, you know, suburbs, but they're just the outer tier suburbs. You know what I'm saying? Do you guys think that the telework is going to remain? Do you think that this is something that people are anticipating is going to be part of their job for the foreseeable future beyond just January of 2021? 100%, I think, for sure. I mean, and, and why wouldn't you if you were a company? I mean, you just, you you got the kind of the excuse to to be able to do it now, you know? And I, not, you know what I mean by, but I mean, it was, probably hard to do before and other companies would hold it against you. But, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people that, you know, work in the city and uh, they're, they're sick. They're so much more efficient and they're actually probably working more now, you know, that they don't have the commute back and forth. Um, and so they're taking on, they're taking on more work. And I think people are starting to get used to, um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of it, even in our industry, there's a lot of driving around and meeting when we could have just, talked over this real quick and been much more efficient. So I, I actually, I kind of enjoy it myself now. Interesting, uh, interesting topic. Uh, we last weekend, I had the opportunity to interview uh, as we were sitting on in the sand, having a few uh, soda pops um, talking about, he was a construction rehab, you know, doing like renovations for big time offices. Um, this guy has done Mercedes Benz headquarters. They've done um, all these big shot, like multi $300 million remodel jobs. And they said they're actually seeing that the executives are going back to the offices and wanting upgrades. Um, and they're saying that most of these companies that have billions of dollars of assets, they're not getting rid of them though, either. They're sitting on them because they know that they want to have that space if they ever want to bring people back in-house. It depends on the efficiency of the employees. It depends on the work output. There's percentages. And just so everybody at home is watching, he was talking about how much more those companies now are tracking every move you make. So just touching your mouse every 15 minutes doesn't mean you're working. They're actually screenshotting and watching what you're working on, looking at your production. And, and I think you'll end up at the end of the day, you'll end up working harder from home, but just won't have the commutes. So I was having a conversation with, with one of my coworkers yesterday about this very topic and how when we work from my, my coworkers got two kids you know, then full life. And he says when he's at home, he is working 
you know, there's less time to go chit chat and BS with me right next door or go, you know, hang out at the water cooler because you want to get done to go hang out with your kids or take them outside or go for a walk. And, and so you're much, I mean, and, and I've seen that as well. I mean, I'm much more efficient when I'm at home, like I'm glued to my monitor, I'm typing, I'm working, I'm pre-qualifying. And then when I'm done, I'm done. Go unhook for a while, unhinge, go for a walk around the lake, come back for 15, 20 minutes, work on some things, have dinner. I mean, for, for me, the, I'm, I'm, I consider myself a little, I don't know, I've been called an, called an old soul, but like, I don't like the Zoom stuff. I didn't like it. I was kind of very hesitant with it. But now that we are being forced to do it, and I'm on it almost every day, I love it. I mean, I love the flexibility. And I think the fact that we were kind of being forced, instead of having to ease into it, where it's like, you got the old heads, like I used to work with a bunch of older, you know, a bunch of older attorneys, and that the ones that were not on board with the um, with the um, technology side of it, did everything, handwritten memos, all this stuff. And the younger ones were flying through files, getting everything done because they could delegate via email. And so I think we're seeing a, kind of a broader thing of that with everybody being forced to, to, to tune into the Zoom and to, do, and to kind of figure it out on the fly. I think it's a lot better than kind of, it's ripping off the Band-Aid. If you're, Andy, for a good analogy, it's ripping off the Band-Aid as opposed to kind of slowly peeling it off. So that's, my, that's what I've seen. I like it. 100%. Well, even, even for the consumer, you think about this, when you're putting a proposal together or you're working for someone doing something and they've got kids, family, all that stuff going on at the same time, dinner, and then you say, hey, let's meet at six o'clock or seven o'clock at night. And it is an absolute pain for these people versus saying, hey, flip on Zoom, sit in your jammies, let the kids run around, who cares, let them make noise. And let, let's talk about building a new house or let's talk about getting your house sold or let's make a plan for your marketing or whatever you know service we're providing that client. And I, I do think, though, that there's a little bit more of a um, um, people that are online don't connect personally. Um, so you, you don't have sometimes, I think, that same bond where this, this individual I was talking with was talking that a lot of these corporations are refocusing their business and they're getting to the point of where they have the social interaction amongst their own employees. The bonding is not going to happen. And, and so they're trying to figure out ways that they can still from a distance create that social environment and create that bonding. So they're working together with synergy and, you know, actually looking out for each other and, and the company. Um, but it, I, I think we've got some exciting stuff coming at us, guys. I agree. And if you're listening live, feel free to comment in the comment section about what you're experiencing in work from home and what that looks like for you and what your company is kind of projecting in terms of what they're, they're sharing, at least, for the foreseeable future for your work from home status. Or if you're back in the office and that's going great, too, or not going so great, let us know in the comments. Mike Ludwig um, has a question for Chris. Is there a Buffalo Wild Wings on every corner in Rooneyville? Yes. Uh, <laughs> there will be one for sure in that area. Oh, no, I think we should do a variety of restaurants, Chris. We should have a Hurricanes on one corner. What's Buffalo Hurricanes? Wings. Uh, Buffalo Wings. Um, oh. It went out of business. Serums up in Anoka makes nice wings. We could put them on one corner. Uh you got to know that I go to Buffalo Wild Wings. I always went there for the atmosphere. Remember the white noise behind there? I never ate the wings. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, who knew they sold cake? I didn't know. I... <laughs> let's, just, let's just say they're still doing pretty good business-wise. Buffalo Wild Wings is. 
they're locally owned, aren't, aren't they? Based here, I think they're owned by Arby's. It started now. out here, yep. Arby scooped them up two years ago. So, so kind of parlaying off a little further into the fall with the presidential election coming up, it's not a um, what is that called when it's the start of a new eight year potential eight year term where it's for sure an eight year term? I don't know what that's called, um, but it is a it is a uh, it is it is an election year. How does that traditionally impact housing? Typically, nothing really changes right now. I mean, because obviously the 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 current president doesn't want any bad problems to happen. Um, but so usually you don't have a problem. Usually interest rates stay pretty good. Um, obviously, it's gotten better. I think this is obviously different than probably any election that's uh, ever happened, uh, probably will ever happen. And um, I don't know. It, Let's just say that, I mean, with inventory and rates, you know, regardless of economics and all that other stuff, I mean, the housing market has been, it's, it's really good. If you, if you get your house ready and you price it correctly, it will sell. And it will sell for more than it did this last spring, for sure. And more than it did uh, last summer or last, you know, last year, the year before. So, um it just kind of depends on what you want to do. And, you know, we, we, we've talked about this and, you know, people are saying, well, geez, if I pay, if I, I pay this much for this house, it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm going to be in trouble, you know, and you're not because you got this much for your house. So it doesn't matter where you're actually, we're at, and especially with the rates. I mean, my goodness. I mean, if we're talking, if you would have done this two years ago, I mean, you could probably, what said, maybe afford 50,000 more, um, and be in the same payments or or less. For sure. Who said for sure? Yeah, I mean it. Yeah, it. Well, Andy did, but I, I would. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been. Uh, yeah, the fact that the rates are where they are. I mean, it's just again, like I said that to start off the show, it's just opening so many doors. It's opening up so many things that, quite frankly, I mean, I, I was. It's just. It's. It's interesting times right and it's i mean having the flexibility for our borrowers and our buyers it's just it's remarkable it's fantastic yeah i agree and i think that you know sometimes in elections they there's distractions that are thrown out there for us so we can focus on exciting things and not worry about the things that would stress us out because when people get stressed they get they paralyze themselves in buying decisions when you know people don't buy things or make building or they don't add on to their company or they don't grow um, economies get stale and then things start looking bad for everybody. So, you know, the one thing that I was really interested in and it was intriguing to me was this last month, the uh, Builders Association, they do what they call a, a housing market index and builders confidence was up 14%. And so builders are building again, developers are developing again. The first couple months of the year, a lot of things got put on, on hold and set to the sidelines. And right now um, we're starving for dirt. I mean, the builders, we're going to run out of land in some areas very fast. And so, and, and most of those, what's crazy about that, just for a quick example, um, it takes usually a year or a year and a half to get a, a really nice housing development from conception to actual, like, let's, you're, you're moving in. And so the stuff that you're seeing right now in the marketplace was talked about back in 2018, 19, um, you know, and then now the stuff they're talking about now, what I'm worried about is next year stalling out housing a little bit because there's a lack of lots that'll become available in the spring. Um, is our next, you know, battle that we have. So most developers um, I've been running into recently, 
are going gung-ho right now, trying to get the shovels in the ground. So at least they have permits available for builders this fall. So they can have, you know, their models ready for the spring previews that are actually in February, which is so crazy to me. That's the winter preview, but whatever. <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? But it's like, so there, there's a there's a cycle to this that doesn't happen overnight. So we will feel the effects of the early spring where everybody stalled out, but not until like now or the fall. <laughs> you guys are so, you kill me with silence. Well, no, you know, the thing is though, what you said too, is that I think that's what, um, we're not seeing the effects of, uh, of some of, you know, what has happened because what did, what did happen was developers just said, you know, Oh, oh hold on a minute. Let's just not close on that land yet that we were going to close on that. Like Andy said, it's going to take 18 months in which to get ready. They didn't do that. And so once you start getting delayed on that, I mean, even if it's, hey, after the election, they say, okay, hey, this is going to be great. Let's go for it. I mean, we're we're a year to 18 months away from getting those things online. And there's then there'll be a, a, you know, just some inventory that's left out of the market. So do you think that with how crazy this year has been and how um, the, the housing market is is really lacking new properties coming to the market right now. And there's, you know, not enough homes to serve the needs of the Twin Cities people. Do you think that builders have thought about that in advance and started preparing for more building in 2021, 2022? Or do you think that's just something that's coming to fruition right now, or that thought is coming to fruition right now? I I think the developers have made that choice already. You know okay. of what's going to happen. I think we're going to we got to sift through the inventory that we got. I mean, which might just kind of continue what the market is that we do have. From a you know that there's not twelve thousand choices. There's eight thousand choices um, instead. And then just I mean, again, depends on rates. And I tell you what, it through and through thirty years I've been doing it. It's always about consumer confidence, and that sometimes is hey if the you know, the economy's bad, consumer confidence, hey, I'm going to hold up, I'm not going to do nothing. And then obviously you, you have a problem. But uh, it it ebbs and flows. And uh, I don't know, I think uh, I have, I have many opinions, but I probably can't share them all. How does that impact the uh, the number of realtors and mortgage officers in the market when when consumer, you know, in an election year, in a weird year, are you seeing more of those uh, those those people that are in the market on a smaller scale, maybe only doing a couple of transactions a year, go find different jobs because the market is so different. Then it's not a, it's not an easy market. You have to. I mean, it's pretty hard to live on a couple of deals a year, and I think uh, you know people realize that. And there there is jobs out there. There's a ton of jobs out there um, that might you know not include sitting in a, on a desk or talking on the phone the whole time um, that that are paying very, very good. And I think you, you know, because there's obviously less sales that are happening. And um, typically the people that have, you know, maybe the that do more sales are getting more sales or getting what they normally do. And some people are, are getting left out. So a, mil- a million percent, the, the old uh, 80, 20 rule where 80% of the sales are done by 20% of the salespeople. I think it's a 95-5 right now. I think you've got literally 5% of the agents doing 95% of the deals and the rest of them are starving to death. And it, it's, it's, it's a tough market. But what's crazy to me is that 
there's still new real estate agents joining this industry, like hand over fist right now. It's crazy to me. And it just, I don't know. But you know, it comes down to where this, what value do you provide? And what is your niche going to be in real estate or mortgages or whatever? And if you provide value to people, there's a place for you. You know, if you think you're getting into a quick giddy, you know, get rich, that's not this at all. Uh, just to let you know right ahead of time. I mean, I think a lot of people think real estate agents and mortgage guys make a ton of money. Some do, but most of them have been in the business a long time and have earned that opportunity um, by doing, you know, great things for people over the years. Good service, great, you know, uh, reviews, you know, they're just good at what they do and they they remain strong and, and stay strong. Now, a couple of years ago, we had technology trying to creep in and take the position of, of value away from a real estate agent or a mortgage guy. And it just, it doesn't work. It's not the same. There's so much complexity to putting a file together with a mortgage professional or the complexity of placing an offer on a house. I think you're absolutely flipping nuts if you don't have somebody guiding you. It's like doing your own surgery on yourself. I mean, you probably could figure it out, but it's, you know, I, I just, I wouldn't recommend you do it. Sid, are you seeing an influx of mortgage Whoa. people in the mortgage industry? I like that analogy, Andy. That was a good one. Well, you know what I thought about, Andy? The, that Matt Damon movie, The Martian, where he gets like impaled with and he's doing his own surgery. I was thinking, seeing you, like kind of fix that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Every day, Sid. Well, if you change your background to your to your canoe where you're stuck on your island, you'd probably have to do your own surgery. I, I got off the island and moved down, down shore. <laughs> Where's Mitzi should be coming to comment on that from last week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mitzi's Sorry, my yeah, friend. No, I, I, oh, I Mitzi's your just, friend. Sorry, just, Chris. Sorry, Sid. <laughs> no, you're good. Good. I think, uh, you know, the same way, it, again, realtors and mortgage for, I mean, we're the same, uh, it cuts from the same cloth. I mean, we, we really do provide very different services and very different uh, levels of it. But I mean, we're really doing the same. It's the same job. We both have the same goal, right? So when you have a realtor and a mortgage broker working in unison to get a client into a house, that's, I mean, that's a beautiful thing. And for me, it's, I've seen, to answer your question, yes, I've seen a lot of new brokers come in. Uh, a lot of them coming from, you know, Wells Fargo, U.S. Bank, where they're registered. They're not actually licensed through the state. And so what we're seeing right now, I'm recruiting, I'm gobbling people up, or I'm trying to at least, where I'm talking to them, they say, hey, I'm at Wells Fargo, I'm doing this and that, you know, and I'm making, I'm making this. And I say, well, you know, why don't we kind of put a game plan together? So in a couple of years, if you can, if you can hang, you know, if you can really go out, find realtors, build relationships, do a damn good job, right? Basically, I mean, what everybody's saying, if you do a good job, you're going to make it, right? And that's one of the things where I've kind of really came to grips with, with, where I found success is I do a lot of different things. I'm in BNI. Courtney, you helped me market to realtors. Um, I'm in other networking groups. I'm in other social groups. I don't know which one of those works. So I just keep doing them all. Right. And, and if you keep doing, if you keep doing work, if you keep putting in the time, you'll get the payoff. And, you know, to Andy's point, when you see these young realtors and long, young loan officers coming in, thinking they're just going to make a quick hundred K. I mean, it's just not reality. You know, it's a grind. And, and if you're not able to provide a service, if you're not able to answer the phone at 8.30, I was texting with a borrower at 11 at night. And my wife, and I told her the next morning, because I, I got a call, I talked to the realtor, and she's like, you were texting another woman in bed, jokingly, of course. But, you know, but that's, that's kind of our work is, you know, we're, our, our work is never done. I, I was up before the call that we've taken right now, and I'll be working, I'm working through it, sorry. 
and I'm taking phone calls, I'm answering messages. And, you know, that's that, that's that level of service that you can't get from an automated system. You're not going to get from a Redfin agent out in Denver, Colorado, that's going to sell your house for 1% when all they're doing is just sitting back waiting for a check, post a couple photos that are five years old, waiting for, waiting to collect a check. And the same thing with more loan officers is, you know, if we just expect to come in, yeah, you're good. I pulled your credit and you're fine. No, there's a lot more that goes with it. So if you're doing a good job, if you're, if you're taught, I had a good teacher. My boss, Tom Wallace, is one of the top producing agents in the country. I have a good boss. He is my mentor. He is my friend. I had a good person to, to learn from. And it's because of that good foundation that I'm able to, I've able, I'm able to really find success and thrive in that. So. Well, and you know, Sid, I was going to jump on because I wanted to, um, a lot of people get confused. So consumers, and they're like, well, why would Andy or Chris refer somebody to a specific lender? And just to be crystal clear, there is, when you have an agent that refers, for example, a lending partner, there's a reason why they do that. The lending partner is proven to answer the phone at 10 o'clock at night or on a Sunday or when you're out working with your client. That's number one for a guy like me. I know, Chris, you're the same way. The, the, you're available when we need you. But the other thing is a lot of people, I think, in the back of their head think there's a financial benefit um, for real estate agents referring a financial partner. And why don't you talk a little bit about how that is just ridiculously not true anymore. I mean, there's, you can't, I don't even think you can buy me a cup of coffee, can you? So the example that they give when, when I took my test is you cannot give a can of Coca-Cola to an agent in the expectation that they're going to refer you business. I, we are so heavily regulated from on the lending side of it. We are, we are regulated by the Dodd-Frank Act. It is a, it is a, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's an act, right? It is a government mandate and a government, uh, I mean, there's its own entity, the Department of Commerce that, that governs us. And we cannot accept gifts. We cannot accept kickbacks like, hey, Andy, thanks for the deal. Thanks for that $5,000 deal. I'm going to give you your $1,000 of it. I mean, that is, and that's not anything that any of, I don't do, my, my partners don't do, you know, my realtors don't do it. I don't get anything from my realtor partners, except that they know, to your point, that I'm going to do a, I'm, I'm going to do a good job, right? I'm going to answer the phone. We're going to close a file. And, and for them, that is worth any sort of kickback that another, you know, unscrupulous loan officer could do. Because what's it, what's it worth it if you're going to get 25% of a file, half of them are going to close, you know, and the other half are in limbo or there's problems all across the board. So and 110%, like, I don't get, I don't get any business from my agents in the expectation that I'm going to give anything back, that I get anything from them other than we do a dang good job together. And I'm going to close the loan. Mm -hmm. Yep. That, that, I think that's it just, you know, from the consumer's perspective, I think that's important to understand and hear because, you know, when you have a real estate agent that's working with you and they say, Hey, you know, call my buddy Sid or call whoever, right. They, they, they're saying that from a place of experience and a place of uh, we know what to expect. We know that you give the best rates to our clients. We know that you give great service and you're fair. And, and those are the kind of things that I, as a real estate agent, look for in partnerships. Same with the title companies, you know, same with home repair people, same with the, uh, the uh, home inspectors. And, you know, all of those uh, are part of our group, if you will, our network that we put together as a service and a convenience to our client. And the financial gain is, is nothing other than the fact that you're a good client. I make a commission. I'm fine with that. That's plenty. I just want to make sure you have a great experience. And I think that, you know, the good, the good guys and gals that are out there doing this, that is the focus. And, and, you know, it's not, uh, 
you know, like it drives me crazy. Some of these guys doing these ads on the, I, Chris will start laughing on these ads that you hear on the radio. I'll sell your house <laughs> for $1,500. Call me. I do nothing for nothing. And, and I'm like, these people are ripping you off. I mean, you know, have you ever you, thought about doing voiceovers, Andy? Yeah, I do. Vo- yeah, I do voiceovers. The, uh, it was funny. I was at a graduation party and somebody listens to this show. And when I started talking, she goes, you look exactly like I thought you would. Um, anyway, <laughs> is that good or bad? I, I hope it's good. I don't know. I laughed and walked away nervously. Um, but the, uh, you know, the idea there though is this gimmicks are guess what guys gimmicks. If you have an agent that's paying, you pay them a fair price and they can get you more money for the house at the end of the day, they can line you up with all the professionals, make a smooth transaction. And at the end of the day, you walk away with more money as a listing or as a buyer, put you in touch with somebody that saves you thousands of dollars on a mortgage or convenience of a great title job that is bulletproof. So when somebody comes back after you, after closing, you know that the title company's solid and the title work was done correctly. All of that matters, guys. And so I think that there's, um, and I'm not, I'm not preaching to anybody that wouldn't, you know, uh, I, I don't think understands that, but I'm just saying to reiterate what our industry is about. It's helping people, you know, bringing solutions to the table, bringing resources, and and no matter which brokerage you work for, provide good service if you're going to stay in the real estate industry or in the mortgage industry for that matter. Please. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, for for us, I work with a lot of you know first time home buyers, and I want it to be a smooth process. There's a lot of things that first time home buyers just have no clue about, right? Just because they don't need to, they don't know, they don't need to know that property taxes. You need to come with six months of property taxes at closing, and you know, an additional two months or 12 months of homeowners insurance. And so if we, if we're up front and very transparent about everything that the, the expectations and it's a smooth process, I smell, uh, smell, <laughs> I sell a service, right? I sell a good product, right? It's going to be smooth from start to finish. And that's why the realtors that I partner with, you know, that, that, that trust me with their clients, because quite frankly, as a realtor, you guys are the face of, you know, you're the front. When people are looking to buy or sell a house, they go to the realtor. They don't, often come to the mortgage broker. I'm second fiddle, right? And so for me, it's if, you know, you, you realtors are entrusting me with their clients and that is gold. Your clients are your network, are your base. That one, that one refer, that one realtor, I'm sorry, that one, uh, you know, client could turn into 15 different deals throughout your career. So if you do a bad job, that is reflective of you, right? If I mess up, that is reflective of you, regardless of if it's your fault or not. You know, and so for us, it's like for, for me personally, I want to make sure I do a good job, not just for myself, not for my business, but for the realtor's business as well. And that's big. That is huge for me. And I, that's how one of the, that is, that has to be one of the reasons where I found success because I take that very seriously. You send me a bar or you send me a client, I will treat them like they are my best friend and, and I, will t- I will take them from start to finish. Well, guys, we are getting close to the end of the show. So let's cover a few of last week's questions um, that were submitted after we wrapped. I think I found my perfect home. The only question is, it is located right by a highway. Will I regret this decision if I move there? I did that once. And it took me about four years to have it drive me insane. But uh, the thing was, and, and more than likely what happens on that is that you just get a lot more house. And so you start justifying it and say, you know, I can put up with that. And uh, it's just, I mean, it's, you just have to know. I mean, I, I always tell all my buyers every time we go into, you know, we're buying something, it's, it's, you know, hey, it's yours, but this could be 
a problem later on, just so you know. So I don't come back in six years when you want to sell and say, hey, dummy, why'd you move next to a highway? And I said, well, you sold me the house. Oh, that's right. But um, you just let them know what it could be a problem. And it's not like you're going to get one, the same price that's three blocks down the street. That doesn't matter. I mean, and I think that there's, there are people that will live in any house. I mean, I've, I've sold houses that have roads on three sides and power lines going over and the basement flooded. And I still got an offer on the house and sold it. So, I mean, there's a buyer for every house, but when it comes down to it, when you, for example, make a decision, highway, train track, whatever, just make sure that you're buying that house appropriately so that when you go to sell the house, when somebody penalizes you in the future, you bought the house right so that you can, you know, afford to sell it at, at a, you're, you're not going to buy it cheap and sell it high unless you get really lucky or it's a fluke situation. Usually, let's say it's $10,000 under all the houses in the neighborhood because it backs up to the busy road. It'll probably sell for 10000 less than the rest of the house in the neighborhood when you sell it in 15 years, you know? Is that hard? So it's not harder to sell. It's just you got to find the right buyer for the house. Correct. Price. Price always makes a difference. You know, if you price it right and, and people look at it, and that's a, it's so important at the beginning to price your house right when you're yeah. listing as well. We have to have room for negotiation. Well, people don't go into your house the first time and say, you know what? I'm really thinking they priced it at $750 because they want to negotiate to $710. They don't think that. They think, well, it's $750, it's overpriced. We'll go look at something else. Yep. You know, and maybe six months later, they say, hey, 750, I'm going to offer you 700. So you got to, but by that time, you, you've lost your, all your, mo- I mean, your your momentum from a, a listing side. Well, so I mean, you know, I'll give you one quick example, Chris, and you guys, there's a couple of years ago, this is probably 12 years ago. And uh, I had a client, I, I sold their house, it was right on the fast tracks in Coon Rapids. So the trains are going by 50, 60 miles an hour mm-hmm. and they're howling. And they had a berm in their backyard. The, the railroad company just re-insulated their, their uh, back of their house. They put in triple uh, glazed, you know, windows for them. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm never going to be able to sell this house. The train goes by and literally shakes the, the chandelier. And so I'm like, I got to start doing open house. I got to do something for this guy. So I put, this was long enough ago where I actually put an ad in the paper. Put an ad in the paper and it says, hey, you know, those of you kind of ran, a, uh, you love the, the trains, you love whatever. And I said, this is your house in a cul-de-sac, privacy galore. Um, and, and and I ran the ad kind of almost like as a joke because I didn't know what else to do. I had a guy that came to the open house, came late, right as I was grabbing my signs ready to close. And he says, oh, man, he goes, I read your ad in the paper this morning when I was working. And he said, I can't believe, he goes, do you know how hard it is to find a house on the train tracks? And I said, yeah, totally, man. I, I I can't even believe it. Can you believe I've only got one? And he grew up in North Dakota on the train tracks. And he said he can't sleep at night unless he's got the trains. And that guy came in there, was like in love with the house, loved it was on the tracks. It was a perfect fit for him. So I always say there's a, there's a buyer for every property. And then that buyer didn't get bamboozled. That buyer was excited. They were thrilled to buy that house. Buyer for every house. I'm about to be a first-time landlord. What is your best advice? Are you guys landlords? Do you have rental property? Yeah, I've had quite a few over the years. And um, I'll tell you, my the best advice that I can give is just to stay in contact with that house. 
meaning visit it. Don't just rent it and then just keep taking the rent payments, but go in and, and go in and, you know, and you might have your guys might be, Hey, I just switched the filters. That's my thing. I do that every 30 days. But during that, you can see if uh, faucets are leaking. You can see if there's Kool-Aid on the carpet you can catch it a heck of a lot quicker. Um, the, the, the three dogs, they said that they only had one dog. And now they have three dogs, you know, they're probably not going to get away from that. And that's, I'm telling you, that's keep track of the property and stay on top of it. Great, great advice. Yeah. And if you ever do get a good tenant, um, take care of them, you know, treat them right. I know my whole family does this and they, we have uh, people that are in some of our rental properties for, there's one up in Rogers. She's been there for 12 years and it gets to a point of where, you treat people right as a, as a landlord, do the right thing. There are some people that will take advantage of you for sure. But when you find somebody that treats you right back and, and or takes care of your property for you and, and as a steward of uh, the property for you on your behalf and they take care of it, um, treat them right. I mean, we probably could raise our rents a couple hundred bucks a month on every one of our properties that we have. Um, we choose not to because we want people to stay. And when they shop and they say, well, let's move into St. Louis Park from Rogers and all of a sudden it's four hundred dollars more a month. People like to stay. Plus, when you're you're taking care of them, um, you know that that can be a real nice situation for your family as a landlord. Totally. The next question: the house appraised eight thousand dollars under ask that price we agreed on. The appraiser said it was because it was smaller than the comps we tried to use as a rebuttal. It turns out the house is 350 square feet smaller than what the listing says. Adding another wrinkle, in our offer, we agreed to cover any difference between appraised and sale price value. Where do I go from here? <laughs> Ooh, we kind of talked about that last week too. Similar question. Little, yeah. Um, I mean, said, what do you do? Why don't you take it from a lender perspective and what you do when you get appraisals that happen like that? Obviously, there's some there's some interesting stuff that we'd have to probably deal with the seller from being a buyer's agent on misrepresentation, but what do you do? I'd fight it. I mean, I guess from a lending perspective, you know, I've had a couple of appraisals come in low you know, in the last month or so, which is never good, never fun. Um, but from the way that we kind of approach the rebuttal is I put together a really strong case and kind of, hope for the best, right? It's funny that you, this topic should come up. I was literally on the phone with an agent of mine. Appraisal came in low. I was on the phone with him before we, I jumped on this call and, and I, and I kind of said to him, I said, look, man, here's, here's the deal. We're going to, an appraisal rebuttal is basically getting the appraiser to admit that they were wrong. And that's always a tough ask. And so the best thing that we can do is try to come at it from a, like a, I don't know, as, as, as cautious as possible, right? Because they're human, they have feelings, right? And so we take that into account. At the same time, it's like, this is business. This is really affecting my borrowers. So the way that I approach that is, you know, I put together a very um, carefully worded letter to the appraiser because we can't have direct contact with the appraiser, period. I mean, that's that's a no-go. That that That's what kind of blew things up back in, you know, the, the last meltdown. So, so we're kind of um, insulated from that. So what I do is I put together a nice letter, send it to the appraisal, uh, well, to the lender, the lender sends it to the appraisal company. Um, and then it's, I mean, if we can't get it, and quite frankly, it's, it's very rare that an appraiser does come down like that. Now, this is this instance seems maybe like a different story. If there was, 
um, you know, clear misrepresentation of, of the square footage. And then, you know, that, that's, an, that's a unique case. I'm going to let you guys handle that one. But from a, from a lender's side, the rebuttal process is, it's never good to be in that. But for me, I just, I try to come at it from as delicate of a, of a side as I could. I, I put together my case, but I also make sure I'm very careful in how I word it and say, hey, look, this is, here's what we're thinking. And, and I kind of handle it like that. Yeah, I, but, but, to answer, but to really, but to go, but to, to to put a bow on that, if you will, Andy. Sorry, the the lender will not, the lender will go with the appraised value. Like they're not gonna, hey, you have a you have an you have an accepted offer of three thirty, but the appraisal is at three twenty. As you as you guys know, the the, the value that ten thousand dollars gap will need to be made up by either the sellers, so the sellers, the buyers, or a combination of. So the lender's not going to budge on that appraised value. Um, I was going to say the the so. I've taken a different approach. I've had this happen. Um, and this is how I learned my lesson. The first thing I did was I look on the MLS and I make sure that the agent that's there didn't just cut and paste what was there the first time the house was listed. Cause sometimes that happens. So they just keep regurgitating and passing along bad information. Um, I also use my own, um, my, I, like you have a gut feeling if you're walking through a house and they say it's 1800 square feet and you're like, there's no way I say, before we write an offer, let's measure the house. I've actually done that because of this exact situation. And then the other thing I've also done is when the listing agent argues with me and says, hey, I measured. First thing I do is I say, awesome. When can I meet you out at the house? I'd like you to show me how you measured the house. And they totally get insulted and they're totally mad at you. But I'm like, you know what? Let's do it together so we both can agree. And we'll both go to the appraiser after we're done. And our findings, we'll, we'll let them know what we found. In the event that we're wrong, we would obviously, like Chris said, that's that's false information. I mean, we're, we're going to get out of that purchase agreement for the client that they want out or negotiate down to a price that that's re realistic. Information deemed reliable, but not guaranteed, Mr. Prasky. You yeah, never know. I don't, I, I agree. But I mean, there's a, I'll tell you what, being off 350 square feet is not super unusual, which is really it's sad. Like 30 room. That's I know, room. but it's sad, but it's true that it happens a lot. People screw up uh, square footage a lot. Never and, uh, you know, and then so the appraiser doing that, but I think there's another little piece in there that they already agree that if there's any problem with the appraisal, you know, that it's going to come down. So it is, there's a case of misrepresentation, but again, now you have to go after them, you know, and so you have to make that decision. I, I, I think it's always interesting, you know, in, in anything you can sue or, or do anything you want, but obviously that takes money, resources, and time and whether or not, you know, are you going to get into a house or not? And the other thing is, is did you believe that house was worth it at 330 when you paid for it? Regardless, I don't think a lot of people buy a house because they said it's, you know, 4,000 square feet rather than 3650. I just don't. I think the square footage thing to me is they bought it because the bedrooms worked for them, the flow worked for them, the location where it was, you know, so yeah, is it wrong? It is, but you have to kind of move past that as well and kind right. of, you know, you you kind of you kind of agreed to do that, and I'm trying to give this person an answer. Um, so you have to kind of throw that in there, and I think you you know yeah it is wrong, and, and maybe you can do something later or use that to try to get something out of it. But um, it usually yeah, no, I agree. Chris, I mean, we, we buy houses for the human side of it for sure. We visualize ourselves in that home. We have friends down the street. The kids have whatever. But when it comes down to the professional side of it, that's where you and I protect these people and say, listen. You're getting bamboozled here. This this house is wrong. Uh, the square footage is off. And I want to get you guys a price adjustment. 
if they say, you know what, don't worry about it. And you say, okay, sign here that says you understand you're buying this house. It's smaller than what we wrote the offer on. And I'd make my client then sign a, a piece of paper for me because I don't want to be held responsible for that information not being projected onto them. You know what I mean? Because they could come after us in down the road saying, hey, you never told us this or you never told how we should adjust this. And so from a sheer liability perspective too, you and your client have to have that heart-to-heart conversation. If they choose to swallow that pill, good for them. But then make sure that you get it in writing that they understand what's happening and that they're crystal clear as to what they're buying. I think this is another one of those situations where you really have to choose the real estate agent that is uh, knowledgeable and understands the market and is available to answer your questions. You definitely want to work with someone who is a full-time real estate agent when you get into sticky situations that um, you know they you know that they've encountered before, you know that they they can handle on your behalf without leaving you stuck in the mud. <laughs> No, I yeah. think another really important another really important piece on this is that it's not our decision as realtors. And I think realtors need to, they try too much to say, oh my God, it's 350 square feet. I'm going to come after you. We're going to do that. Well, it's not about you. It's about your client. It's what you got to give your client the options in which to be able to come back. And then you do what they want you to do um, after you've given them the information. I mean, but too many times agents are a fight over stuff that, you know, that screws it up for that what if this buyer really wants it, really wants that house, this agent's being a jerk and the seller says, well, forget them. We're canceling it. We're not selling to these idiots because he thinks it's the buyers that's doing it. It's not. It's the agents that are doing it. And so you got to be, I mean, a, an agent is the one that gives you the information so you can make a decision. They don't make the decision for you. Oh, sorry. That's my Andy on the soapbox right there. No, that, and that's okay. I agree 100%. It is, Chris, you make a good point. I mean, it's our job to bring all the information together so that our buyers and our sellers can make decisions that are right for them. Um, they don't always make the right decision, which in a weird way is being said here. Um, but at least they know that they know what their rights are. They know what the facts are. And they feel good about the decision they're making. That's that's very important, yes. You guys, this was a jam-packed hour and seven minutes of, of real estate info today. Thank you. Awesome. The market is crazy. That is the bottom line. For sure. It's crazy different. It's changing. And uh, you want the right team on your side when you're when you're thinking about buying or selling. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Sid, thank you for joining us on the show today. Um, if you haven't already, be sure to like and follow the Real Estate Radio Hour page on Facebook. Give us a follow. Subscribe to us on your podcast listening app of choice. This episode will be live on the podcast uh, tomorrow. Uh, and if you have questions, share them with us. We'd love to incorporate them into the show. You can send them directly to me, Courtney, uh, C-O-R-T-N-E-Y, Courtney with no U at amplifyup.com. We'll see you next week. Thanks for having me, guys. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.